It's good to be here with you. Always a privilege to bring God's word uh, wherever the Lord might have me, whether it's a little village church in Malawi, Africa, where they praise the Lord with not only singing but dancing. Um, very, very poor people or uh, here in Culpeper. But I'd like to read the word of God uh, to you uh, and please follow along. I'm reading Philippians 4 verses 10 through 20. This is God's holy word. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how it is to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give thanks for this, your sacred word, inspired, infallible, inerrant. But we need the Holy Spirit today. We need the spirit that inspired Paul to write these phrases, to come and meet with us, to awaken our minds, bring life to our hearts, give us a willingness to receive all that's here. We ask you would do that through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. What's the best thank you note that you've ever received in your life? Just just think about that for a minute. Here and there you've done something. Someone's written you a note. And if you're like me, you've kept some of them. And when you've been a pastor, uh, before I was with ELI, Equipping Leaders, I was a pastor for 33 years, 30 of those as a lead pastor, senior pastor. And uh, <clears throat> I got all kinds of communication. Uh, I remember the grumpy guy on Monday morning in Dayton, Ohio, that would always send a letter criticizing the worship of the church, and, uh, and I would get to react to that. So I learned, whenever someone said something kind, uh, to treasure that, to keep that. And so one of the most unusual, and I'll call it the second best thank you note of all time, uh, was from a family that left our church in Charlottesville. We were in northern Albemarle County. Uh, in this case, they didn't move away from us, we moved away from them. They were already driving... I think the farthest of any of our families. And when our building opened, we were four miles further away. They had four children. and uh, But they did it so well. They came, uh, the dad met with me. He was a wonderful guy. Uh, one of the, uh, he was the athletic director at the Covenant School in Charlottesville. He sat down with me to say, hey, you have taught us to be involved in church, to be really active, and we can't do that. And so we need to find a church home. But he presented me with a note. And on that note, not only did 
uh, he and his wife expressed their sentiments about the ministry of our church, but all four of the children all said what it had meant to them to be a part of the church. I kept that note. I still have that note. Well, we have something like that in our text here. You've been going through Philippians and you've seen it so many things. The, the rich theology of Christ that's in Philippians, we could notice that in the second chapter. But it is a missionary prayer letter, much like the monthly email letter that I have. Mine's not infallible and certainly not without error. Um, but Paul's is, it's a missionary prayer letter. It's an infallible and inspired thank you note. And I get this. I have several churches in my life right now that give generously. One church has committed to send teachers on a regular basis to teach with me. They are my partners. I couldn't do this without them. And I feel gratitude. And Paul is expressing that gratitude. He's in a high-risk missionary venture, so high-risk that he writes from a Roman prison. In this passage are two well-loved verses, and don't worry, that's where we're going to be today. These are verses that are in probably every scripture memory plan on earth. And these treasures come out of Paul's wholehearted mission, his utter dependence on God in Christ, and his thankfulness to the one church above all churches that sought to meet the needs of his missionary work. So our two points, our two stops today are, are simply this, a discovery and a promise. A discovery, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. A promise, my God will supply all of your needs. So first of all, a discovery. Everything Paul says in these two sections are wrapped in his thankfulness to the church, so we shouldn't forget that. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that you revived your concern. There was no online giving uh, like we have with equipping leaders. There's no buttons to click. Uh, there had been a time when the church was unable to get support to Paul. But now, as you probably know if you've read the book, Epaphroditus, himself a Philippian, has brought uh, resources from Philippi to Paul. The communication in the military sense of things, communication you know, has reopened. All kinds of things are flowing back and forth. But in the, in the midst of thanking them, as Paul often does, he digresses from what he's trying to say. And he says, but listen, I don't want you to worry about me. Because in all of this, in all of this that I've been doing, I have learned a secret. It's the secret of contentment in Christ. He tells us he's seen good times and bad times, looking at verses 11, 12, and 13. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any And every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Paul had seen it all. He had had times where he was well supplied. He was a tent maker, literally. He made tents. He supplied his own needs. There were times that he looked around. I've got enough to eat. I've got all that I need. And there were times that he had plenty of friends around. And then there were times that he had none. And he had great opposition. He found a secret strength. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Now this fall, if you're like me and you like college football, you're going to probably be watching a game and something like this will happen. A halfback will take the ball. He'll get hit. He'll spin. He'll roll. He'll, he'll make his way. He'll get past the goal line. And he'll get down on one knee and roll up his sleeve and 
tattooed on the side of his arm, it'll say, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, I'm glad that he's memorized the scripture. That's a positive. Uh, and even inscribed on his arm uh, a scripture that uh, for his length of days uh, he will be remembering. But that's not exactly the context in which Paul is using this particular statement. And I think we have to be careful because remember Paul had come to repentant faith in Christ. He kind of didn't have a lot of choice. God confronted him on that Damascus road. But he believed the gospel. He turned away from his sin. And God put a clear and obvious calling on his life. Um, you know, not many of us can, you know, people say, how did you get called to be a pastor? Well, nothing like that, right? I mean, Paul was told, you're going to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. And so as he's following that, he sees that God is enough. Christ is enough for him no matter what his resources are. And it's not always wise as Christians to power through a situation. You know what I mean by that? Just to toughen up, just roll up your sleeves. I can do all things through Christ to give me strength. And I was thinking about one of those situations in my life where I tried for a little while to power through and just believe, you know, it was going to be all right. We uh, had just struggled after we got in our building. We didn't build enough space. It's hard to afford enough space. And, and we tried different things that didn't end up working very well. And, and so it got to a point where I thought the solution was to add to the building, which is a toxic statement in most churches, you know. And so, uh, you know, we had a session meeting and, and great elders at Grace Community Church, guys I love and trust. And, and, uh, and reluctantly, they agreed to hire a consultant to do a master plan the, the, the plans are still sitting on a, on a shelf way up high where no one can get them to this day. And I remember kind of feeling like, I thought we were all together on this, and then there was a moment where I was standing out here and everyone else was back here. The elders were like, we didn't really think this was a great idea. Now, I could have said, I could do all things through Christ to give me strength, but I'd then be forgetting the verse that says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. I got humbled. Now, there was a lot going on I didn't understand. Uh, there was a lot of hurt right then. A staff member had left. There was a lot of pain in the church. And a wiser pastor would have said, let's take some time. Let's get, let's get some things straightened out. Let's get our hearts right. And then we can worry about these things. So it's not always the thing to do to just power through with this verse. But if you're serving him in some way, could be you're trying to be a mom or a dad, you're trying to represent Christ in your, your vocational life, as far as you can tell, you're right where the Lord wants you to be. But you find yourself lacking things. This is a great verse for you. I think of in my own situation. Uh, uh, so I'm support raising. And uh, our mission doesn't require you to have all your support before you do it. So I, I have to get on the phone and call my friends. Now, when, when we first started, you know, I, I had to have these phone calls where people would say, well, you know we're going to help you, right? And... Um, we'll, we'll, well, I was hoping, well, yeah, you can come talk. We're, we're going to give, this is what we're going to do, but yeah, come on and talk. I'm through that part of the list. And now I'm to people that, that I go to voicemail. They probably know why I'm calling and I need spiritual strength. Maybe you find yourself in some places where you're facing lack and this verse is for you. Where Christ is saying, come seek my strength, seek my provision, seek my help. A little bit humorously, I want to say I've learned a skill. That is to discern the richest person in the room. 
And it's not what you think. You think he's a missionary, he's support raising, he's looking around the room, he's, you know, what kind of shoes, you know, does this person wear? No, it's not that at all. It's right here from the verse. The richest person in this room right now is the person who has contentment, right? Because it's not about material wealth. We see it all the time. It's, a, it's almost uh, just, we just see it all the time, right? We see very wealthy people who take their own lives. We see very, very, very wealthy people who embezzle money, cheat the government, cheat their stockholders. It's never enough for them. But the person who in Christ goes, I have enough, has contentment, has peace of heart, is the wealthiest person that you will ever meet, the wealthiest person in the room, and something that actually God wants for each of us to have a contentment. A contentment that comes from a heart and mind that has a life-giving, ongoing, daily relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. It's sustained by the local church. It's taught and instructed by community. It's not just a solo journey with Christ, your Bible, and prayer. But it's vital. It's ongoing. It's daily. And I don't see any evidence that, that Paul himself knew this secret when he became a Christian. He had a lot to learn. There's so much more we would like to know about his early years and his time kind of away from, from the spotlight. But as he went about his ministry and suffered terrible things, beatings and stonings and shipwrecks, somehow in the midst of that, he learned a secret that he shares with his friends at Philippi. On the cutting edge of God's kingdom, he had a practice faith that was being stretched by circumstances, and yet God had given him a deep contentment. So this morning, brothers and sisters, where is the discontentment in your life? There are probably a couple of things that your heart is anxious about, that you're, you're, uh, you have unrest in your life. I would urge you this afternoon even to get a, get a notebook out, a journal out, and, and write down some of those things Certainly, personally pray. But are there people that know your soul well? People that you trust? People that know you well? Could you bring that list before a trusted friend? Prayer? Say, pray with me about this. Help me to what, to what degree you understand me. Why do you think I lack that spiritual strength of contentment? Something for all of us there, I think. But, but secondly and lastly, there was a promise given. My God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Well, having heard the context of this, you probably already realized that this is not a universal promise to every Christian in every situation. It's simply not. But it is a promise that we can look to and, and hopefully as God works in us that we can enjoy. But again, wrapped in this great promise uh, is a thank you note. One of the best thank you notes ever. He, he, uh, he said, he's very, listen to him, he's very specific in verses 15 and 16 about their support. And remember, going all the way back to verse, uh, one of the first verses, he talks about their partnership in the gospel. He's talking about their financial support of his ministry. So, so go back, to, I think it's about Philippians first, uh, 1 verse 9, something like that. And here we are at the end, and he's talking about it very specifically. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. 
Even in Thessalonica, which was the next stop uh, along the way, you sent me help for my needs once and again. He realized the significance of their material generosity. He realized the singularity of it. There was something about it. We don't know, obviously, all that we would want to know about what was going on here. But remember, he went to Philippi. Lydia was his first convert. There's the demon-possessed girl and the jailer. He's got an intimate relationship with people in that church. And this giving must have been extraordinary and special. This wasn't, well, the deacons of the church met. And we determined that this year we can give you $1,000 and we're asking the elders to approve the budget. Seconded, unanimous vote, amen. We'll, we'll, we'll take a glance at your prayer letter and we'll want you back every now and then. So it wasn't that. It was something more intimate, more personal, more passionate. We don't know exactly what it looked like. But he gets very specific. He says, you are the singular church in your region, the, the, the only one. He was, he was mainly taking care of his own needs through his craft. But you helped me. And you repeated that help. And you kept doing it over and over again. And he uses kind of Old Testament language in verse 18. He says, the gifts you sent are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. We don't Thankfully, do animal sacrifices anymore. Christ has fulfilled all of that. But that doesn't mean we don't live as a living sacrifice to God. And sometimes the way that works out is through our material support of the work of the kingdom. Now, we, we sang some beautiful uh, songs and hymns this morning. Thank you, brother, for leading us. It was just music to my soul and really appreciated it. It was so so. Uh, God glorifying. I think you understand lavish thanks to God, right? When something good happens, you know every good and perfect gift flows from the Father. You've got to tell God you, it's good for your soul to praise Him and thank Him for everything good in your life. I think we know that. You're well taught. You know that. But look what He does here. He's thankful for the ones that God used in His life. I mean, He's the great apostle and yet He's thanking them specifically for what they've done. He's praying for them prayers of blessing. We could all learn from that. In our thanks to God, it's okay to mention people that have blessed us. I, I look back on my life and they're, they're, they're the names of people that, that have meant something in my life. It hasn't, in most cases, it have anything to do with money. Uh, recently, I had time with a, with a dying friend she was our parents' friend, and I spent many nights in their home as a young boy. And they loved Jesus, and they blessed me, and they were like another set of parents to me. And as we prayed together, knowing that her end is probably in the next six months or a year, whatever it might be, we wept with joy and thanksgiving at what God had given us in a lifelong blessing of friendship. It's okay to thank people. It's glorifying to God to say, God has blessed me and he used you. But then there's this beloved verse. My God shall supply. That word means fill up every lack. Isn't it an admission that whatever we're giving in the name of Christ for Christ, whatever resource we're turning loose of is costly and painful? Um, You know, we talk about tithing. You know, what would I tell you the first month you tithe? what will happen. You'll have 10% less than you did the month before. I promise you that. 
You know, whatever you increase your giving, you will have less. It will feel painful. It will hurt. Um, that's why it takes often a lot of work and planning to get to some percentage level of giving. But he's telling them, God is going to supply your every need gloriously. God is generous. Some would say you can't outgive him. We'll talk in a little bit about what that might look like in our lives, what it can look like. Giving is painful. Sometime go back and read 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 8 and 9. Now, uh, a lot of times pastors will use that in a giving series. They'll preach through that, kind of get you to give more to the church. But it's actually a very unique situation. There's a famine in Jerusalem. The church in Corinth has committed, they've made commitments to help that church materially, probably some kind of financial transfer. But they haven't fulfilled their pledge. They said they were going to do it, but they haven't done it. And Paul is evidently nervous that they're not going to come through with it. Or that it's going to be less than what they promised. And so he spends two chapters talking about the grace of generosity. Telling them about how the poor churches in Macedonia have been so generous. But he summarizes everything in a phrase. The one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. The the one who sows generously will reap generously. God loves a cheerful giver. Seems like the Philippians would, would fit that category of cheerful givers. They love Paul they're, they're sacrificially giving, and he's saying, God is going to bless you. God is going to meet your needs. Well, can I just take it on the negative for a minute? There's no blessing in being a stingy Christian. That doesn't mean you don't get to go to heaven. That's not mine to say. If you've repented your sin, you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. But if you are stingy with the resources God has given you, There are blessings you will not taste until you learn to have a generous heart. If you are stingy with money, it's like, ah, man, gotta write that church check again. Or maybe it's on auto deduct every month. Here it goes again. It's hard to let it go. But maybe it's not money for you. There's a lot of American Christians who are more than glad to write a check. Just don't take up my time. Time and money, uh, time is more valuable than my money. They're prosperous enough. In Malawi, nobody ever says that. Money is more valuable than everything. They'll give you all the time in the world. And it takes all the time in the world there sometimes. But sometimes, you know what it's like? You know, the cell phone rings. And on it is the person's name who is calling I won't have a show of hands, but how many of you, your heart sinks? Oh, boy. My wife has one friend, and if it's going to be 10 minutes, it'll be a two-hour phone call, you know, and uh, filled with gossip at that, um, everything that's happening, and, uh, and it's an investment. So I'm not saying it's a sin to let it go to voicemail every time. I mean, there's sometimes it's like, I got to be somewhere, and 10 minutes won't cut it. But do you ever call them back? Because some people that are that person, they are really hurting, they're really needy, they really are needing someone to take some time. That's a resource that God has put in our hands, our time. For some of us, it's our abilities for the kingdom of God. It's like, man, I don't want to use this for the church because if I take that ability in time, it's really going to cost me if I donate that 
ability for other believers. I'm not talking about the church as an organization. You see where I'm going with this. If you always take the minimum route, if you're, if you're looking at the tithe as the end of giving, you know, really? Like if you're super wealthy, all that you have to give is 10, 10%. Um, it stops there and it's never more than that. And whether it's our time or our abilities, you know what I'm saying. Sometimes we look for the absolute minimum that we can do. The least costly way that we can be generous. Well, what God wants to do is have us generous in every area of our lives. To be that kind of person that um, if you can meet a need, you just meet it. I tired in my past church before Grace where someone would say, well, so-and-so needs a washer and a dryer. You know, the deacons need to do something. And I thought, why don't you do something? Like, you have permission. You can actually, if you really see the need and you think it, like you don't have to ask the deacons, just meet the need. Just meet the need. Just meet the need. Because on the other side, there's tremendous blessings of being generous hearted. And that's what Paul is saying. So some, for some of us, this Tax might lead us to another confession prayer at some point today, this week, or whatever. It might be that, Lord, man, I hate that phone call uh, when that needy person calls me. I need first to confess that though you've always given me time, you've always had people in my life that, that would give me time, I don't want to give time. Or maybe it's that you give, and maybe you give generously, but it's all guilt-based, it's all duty-driven, it's not cheerful, it's not joyous. Lord, wash me, cleanse me, fill me. And I think for some of us, if it's our time, the, the real issue may not be that we don't want to give that person time, but as we look at our calendar, we go, I don't have any time to give. And it seems like in our world, the calendar fills up. I see some young people here, and as they get a little older, and they start doing activities, the calendar fills up. There's no time. A few years ago, uh, the, the Wall Street Journal had an interview, or an article about families and sports. And it didn't have anything to do with church or God or Jesus, but it was a great article. Uh, it was talking about the fact that only 1% of varsity high school athletes ever receive a dime to play at college. Yeah, we all act like, oh, my eight-year-old's going to have a scholarship. And, this, and the, it centered around this one family in Northern Virginia had four children, and they all played the highest level of competitive soccer. So, so that meant there were four practices, well, four times two practices every week, travel every weekend, one husband going this way, wife going that way. Their whole lives were revolving around it. And they weren't enjoying it. Nobody was. The kids weren't. The parents weren't. Their schedule was not in line with their stated priorities. So they sat down, they had a family meeting. And they talked about the stress that was putting them under. And every, every one of those kids dropped down to rec soccer. My kids played some rec soccer. The best ever. One practice a week, one game on Saturday, done. <laughs> they all went to that. And then the article talked about how much more they were enjoying their family. So for some of us, when we look at generosity, it might be looking at our calendar and asking ourselves does it match our priorities and asking for the courage i can do all things through christ who gives me strength to let go of some things in favor of some better things 
Now, my friends, I am not a prosperity gospel preacher. I'm not going to tell you that for every dollar that you give to the Lord's work, God will multiply it tenfold, a hundredfold. You know, if that were true, Wall Street would all tie to Christian work. Like, IBM would support Christian missions. And I wouldn't have to go out and (laughs) and meet with people, you know. Uh, Because they go, it's the greatest investment ever. We give 10% to Christian missions, we get a hundredfold back. I don't believe that. In fact, that's one of the errors that we most strongly address in our teaching with ELI because it's in, in a place where people make $1 per day. They're looking for a dream, a hope. But I will say, God re- is serious about this. He will really bless you as you grow in a heart of generosity. What might that look like? It's hard to say. It'll be what God sees that you really need as a blessing. One of my uh, mentors, not in a very personal sense, but in somebody that I've known over the years and seen in a number of settings, is a pastor from down south who was always very committed to world missions. So much so that as a young pastor, he and his wife committed that in addition to what they gave to their local church, something like a tithe, every year they were going to increase their giving to global missions 1%. So year one was 11, year two was 12, and and the plan was to keep going. But they had kids, and the time came for college, and this was back in the olden days when parents could afford to pay for college, you know, when that was even a possibility without indebtedness. And they sat around the table with the kids, and they said, look, here's here, these young adults, not children, but young adults. And they said, look, Mom and I want you to go to college, and if we increase our giving 1% this year, we're not going to be able to do what we've done for you. So this year, we're not going to do it. And the kids revolted. They said, no. God has blessed our family. God has blessed you. God has given you a platform. He's he's blessed our church. Like, no, we are not going to be a part of something that you committed to the Lord in in the secret part of your heart. We'll, we'll get jobs. We'll do what we have to do. We will take up the slack, but you must continue down this path of increased, sacrificial, joyous giving. Now, my friends, if we offered a seminar here, how to get your kids to live out the best values of your life, I would say we could fill the room with parents who are like, we have an absolute guarantee. It's $1,000 for the seminar But we absolutely guarantee in five years your children will have the best of your values and they will live them out. Now, I wish I could guarantee that. That's why we get on our face before God for our children. (laughs) Lord, only you can convert them. Only you can transform them. Only you can create in them a hunger like you did in our lives. Have mercy. Have mercy on them. But look what God did with their generosity. They were so generous, sacrificially so, and their parents, uh, sorry, their, their students, their young people, adopted their values. I don't know how God will bring blessings in your life, but it's a promise. You can take it literally to the bank in the sense that somehow God is going to meet my needs. I'm not going to be shorthanded. I'm going to have enough. I think I told you at the beginning that that little note from the family that was finding the drive was going to be too far was the second best thank you note of all time. Let me tell you about the first one. It was a missionary prayer letter. One Christmas from Japan, from Mission to the World uh, in Japan, 
we received a prayer letter, and it was the best thank you note that I've ever gotten in my life. When Karen and I were young, and uh, we were being taught by other Christians about how to give and what those principles were, we decided that we would give over and above our regular giving to the church to support global missions. Not 1% every year. I'm not going to claim that. I'm not going to say that's what it was. It wasn't even that thought out. But when we saw a cause that we thought was worthwhile, we were going to cut back on pizzas or whatever, and we were going to try to give. And it wasn't a lot of money. Uh, it wasn't anything that would move the needle. But it was what we could afford. And, uh, and we, we started making an investment in that missionary work as our friends went to a city of 50,000 people that had not one gospel preaching church, not one church of any kind, not one Christian church. And it was not easy. It was hard. It was many years before they had the first convert. But one Christmas, after the, the thing began to grow and began to thrive, we got a missionary prayer letter from that included in that were the thank yous of people who had been called from all eternity to become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending these people to be our missionaries. I have become a follower of Christ through their ministry. I tell you, I wept. I thought, you know, I've never really missed the money. I can't think of what I would have done with it other than just spend it. And I look at this and think, what a return on investment this was. And God was even more gracious than that because something like four or five times I've stood in the pulpit of that church and had the opportunity to preach and see with my own eyes what God has done. And one Sunday, before the church service, I got to speak to a young man and uh, the translator had me basically preach the sermon to him in Sunday school. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And I, I didn't know, I mean, I couldn't tell, you know, it's cultural, right? But he was on the edge of his seat as I explained to him that the soul is thirsty. The human beings are created with deep longings. And Jesus Christ said, I alone will meet your longing. He was on the edge of his seat as we're having this conversation. So I go up and preach the sermon. I preach way over because I... I had thought, you know, 15, I, I got it down to 15 minutes, which was going to be 45 translated, you know, and I'm getting the end and I'm cutting and I'm, pay, I, I'm just throwing things out. Um, and, it, and I could tell it was horrible. Except for that one guy who from all, all uh, evidences was thoroughly converted that day. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God's untold favor that he gives to the heart that in repentance and faith grows in generosity. And he has a beautiful secret for us as we move forward in life seeking to be disciples. He can make us rich beyond any imagination by giving us contentment with every resource that he's put in our hands. Let's pray. God, our Father, how we need Christ, how we need to become transformed by the Holy Spirit so that with Paul we could honestly say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Oh, that will be riches for us. That will be contentment for us. That will be blessing beyond all measure. 
So I pray for each of us as we take home the word of God that we've heard and read and heard and considered that you would bless us beyond anything we ever dreamed. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.